If you're sick of the mainstream sports outlets, well, so was I. So I started my own show. I'm Shane Larson, and this is the Game Time Guru. It's different than other talk shows. I'm providing a panoramic view on sports so you can see them through a different lens. So buckle up and let's go. What's going on, everybody? Welcome out to the Game Time Guru podcast. I am your host, Shane Larson, and uh, excited to be here with you guys today. We're bringing on another awesome guest to share her story. And uh, before we even jump into that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save the you know, little anticipation for a second. Make sure you guys are subscribed to the podcast. Give me five stars on Apple Podcasts. It would really help me out. But also remember, during this time of uncertainty, we're in this quarantine across the globe. A lot of people are kind of slowing down, staying home. Make sure if you want to read a book, like you like reading or something, you want to slow down, check out audibletrial.com slash thegametimeguru. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash thegametimeguru because you get a free 30-day trial to Audible so you can listen to your, your favorite audiobooks and uh, you know continuously educate yourself throughout this time. So audibletrial.com slash thegametimeguru and uh, you guys can do that. Now, like I said, the fun stuff. We're talking to, let, let me quote real quick. I'm gonna pull this up on the LinkedIn profile. I'm going to quote who we're speaking to because there's so much to it that I can't even say it without reading it off of a piece of paper. So we're talking to a former member of the United States National Luge team from 2002 to 2010. She's a gymnast, diver, self-taught student, beauty advisor, teacher's assistant uh, for children with special needs, which I would love to talk to you about as well because that's a, that's a similar uh, career field as, uh, experience that I have as well. And uh, now we're talking, to, we're talking, she's a physical therapist. And then we're going to talk about her, her medical side here, which is like she got into ortho and pelvic health. Her name's Stacy Young. Okay. Stacy, thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I'm excited to have you. I, again, that was a lot. That was a mouthful to, to kind of say right there, um, which is good. That's really, really impressive. So we're going to get to know you a little bit better uh, by pulling up some of your information and just letting you kind of share your story with the rest of us. So let's start with, with your background in sports. Obviously, you said you're a gymnast diver, and then, you, you know, you were doing luge for a while. So what was your background in sports from the time you were a, a young kid? When did you get introduced into the sports world? And, like, when did you decide that you wanted to take those sports and kind of, like, be specific with those? Yeah, so I actually was introduced to gymnastics when I was around three years old. Um, I probably started when I was, you know, further back in Gymboree and then transitioned more to gymnastics. Um, that definitely took a good portion of my time though. So that training was pretty much a couple of days a week, very long sessions, three four hour sessions, you know, and so it took a lot out of my day. I was doing that until about 12 years old. And around that time I started introducing, I got interested in diving actually, because, uh, myself and a couple of my teammates started feeling, you know, the effects of gymnastics, it bangs you up a little bit. So we were looking for something that we could transition to that had a little more longevity than the sport that we were in. So we started diving. We did it recreationally. A couple of my friends actually went off, um, you know, went to college for those things. And interestingly, at that time, I went upstate to Lake Placid. So I'm from Long Island. Uh, we went up for a vacation and my family and I, you know, looked into bobsled and luge and all this stuff. The day that I went to go try it, I was so intrigued by luge. I was like, I have to try this. I have to. Uh, the day I went to go try it, they shut down the old track. They completely tore it down, everything. So I didn't even have a chance to try it when I went up there. So, you know, being a little angry, we're walking through town, kind of 
you know, agitated about the situation. And some guy came over to me and was like, oh, by the way, do you know that you guys can try this during the summer? And like, they have this slider clinic that you could do. So anyone from the ages of like, say, 10 to 14 is allowed to jump on a sled with wheels. You try a couple of, um, you do like a long jump, some pull-ups, some sit-ups. They basically do some physical testing and they see kind of where you stand. If they like the way that you you look on the sled and you like your strength and everything, they're going to invite you back towards um, a camp, basically. So I got invited to Michigan, which doing natural luge, which is completely different than artificial luge, which is exactly what I went into. And during the time I... Um, I spent two weeks out there and a couple of the people that I went out there with actually ended up on the developmental team with me the following year. So from there, I was able to really train, go hard, learn a lot about lifting. Um, I was very fortunate to one of my gymnastics coaches from back in the day was actually in Olympic trials for weightlifting. Um, so he basically taught me everything I knew and I was able to transition that to all of my training moving forward. Wow. What a cool story and how you were kind of introduced to that sport too. That's like, that's super intriguing. Um, so like from where I'm from, I'm from Idaho. It's not very common around here. Like we've got one guy who's doing skeleton stuff. Like his name's Andy Blazer, and he just, he was like a track athlete that I went to high school with, but like, we don't know many people around Idaho that like have really, there's only been a few like that have gone into these types of sports. So it's super intriguing to me to see like people from the other side of the country, kind of like it's a, it's a bigger it's a bigger sport over there. Like it's, it's more uh, popular, if you will. Now I'm curious, you know, with gymnastics background that you started when you were a young youngster, like three years old, you mentioned, um, and all this stuff, can you discuss some of the different skill sets that are required to like compete in, in luge compared to like the other sports that you've competed in, which I guess diving is one of them as well, which I didn't know until today. So can you talk about some of the skill sets that are required as a competitor in luge? Yeah, definitely. Um, so it's interesting because the training is very different for both. Um, with gymnastics, it's a lot of calisthenics, I guess, is what people refer to it now. So it's a lot of body weight training, a lot of pull-ups, sit-ups, push-ups. Before and after our sessions, we would do at least a half hour of strength and conditioning. So you would get to, you know, you get to practice, you would have your half hour strength and conditioning, then you would go and practice all your routines and all your skill set. And then at the end, you would do another half hour or so of strength and conditioning. So it was very different. When I went upstate to my luge camps and everything, we did a lot more weightlifting, uh, a lot of uh, muscle building, everything was kind of an overloaded type of movement. Um, we had to work a lot uh, with agilities, with plyometrics. We also did like sprint training and everything like that, basically. So it's just, it was completely different. You know, uh, one was more skill oriented. The other one was more about building power. So it really changed the way that you learn how to move your body around. But I'd have to say they do complement each other because on lose, you're an individual sport. So you yourself are on the sled. You have no one else with you. Unlike Bob sled, it's very similar to skeleton. It's just you and the track. So you have to really control your body as you're going down. And I think that my background in gymnastics really helped me understand my body control while I was on the sled. It really helped me to learn how to relax while I'm on the sled because, uh, you know, that's definitely a key to going fast is being able to relax while you're going like 90 miles an hour down the track. Right. Wow. See, it's so crazy to me. Um, the more I've like recently, just in like recent times, been kind of like studying that sport and just watching it. I don't know, like, 
I don't know how you stay composed, how you stay calm when you're going at such high speeds and just like the danger that's included with it. But I guess, you know, you, you, you learn how to breathe, you learn how to relax and it helps keep you, you know, your central nervous system kind of under control while you're doing all that. I think it's awesome. So are there any like techniques when you're training for this particular sport that like you use to be able to do that? Like, or is it just time and time repetition, repetition, repetition that creates that calmness, I guess. You know, that's, that's an interesting question. Cause I think my answer while I was doing the sport versus now would be completely different. So I have a little bit of a different background now, um, being a physical therapist. So I could tell you from both sides, the one thing while I was training that really helped me the most, um, when I was younger, I traveled for a year and then I stayed home for a year after that. So when I mean traveled, I went to Europe, I was able to compete in junior national or junior world cups. And so when I stayed home that year in between, I really had a chance to fine tune my movements and what I'm doing. I actually used to go on my sled and take a pillow and throw it behind my head and just lay on my sled for like a half hour and meditate. And that really helped me find that you know, ability to be able to relax and call upon it quickly. So when I was able to get to the track, I could just lay on the sled, do what I had to do, go down as quick as I could, and then be done with my run. So um, I used to, you know, we use a lot of visualization in our sports as well. So you thinking about the track, you imagining the curves, you trying to imagine different scenarios, like what happens if I go into this curve too early? What happens if I hit this wall? How do I recover the quickest? And being able to go through all those scenarios in your head really helps you focus by the time that when you get out onto the track, it becomes second nature without you even having to do it because that's your practice. Wow. I appreciate you sharing that with us. There, there was a time where, um, you know, I used to box for Golden Gloves here in Idaho and boxing for some people they don't like it's violent, but I feel like with you talking about all that. It, it's kind of similar. I think it's similar in a lot of sports, like the visualization piece of it. it, it the skill sets are going to be different. But I remember our coach always telling us, you know, you got to visualize the opponent now. Like, everything's great. And it's like Mike Tyson once said, Every, y'all, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Well, so, like, everything's great. But what if you do get caught across the chin, you start to wobble? Then what do you do? Because now all of a sudden your game plan's changed. So you have to visualize those types of scenarios so that you are somewhat prepared uh, for what, when it comes. And then you're talking about meditation and all this stuff. I find it interesting because I think a big piece in sports that people don't realize is super important is breathing. Um, there's a guy in the, the mixed martial arts industry. He's a trainer who's huge about breathing because of the, how it controls the central nervous system, which essentially helps your brain functions. And when you're, I, I would imagine in luge, like the, the speed that you're going, like you've got to be able to make decisions quickly. Like you, and if you make a mistake, you've got to be able to correct that quickly without panicking. Um, and so it's just kind of cool to hear you talking about meditation and just like the importance of visualization as well as like execution when it comes to the actual race itself. I think that's super cool. Um, tell us real quick for those who may not fully understand. I mean, this is the first time I've actually had a luge competitor or a former luge competitor on my show in three years, which is crazy. And I've talked to, to a lot of people from like non-traditional sports all across the world. But so this is my first time here, which is awesome. Uh, but tell us a little bit about the actual competition. What's it look like and how is it scored so that when my listeners go back and start watching it, they'll have a better understanding. Yeah. So um, it's changed a little bit over the years since I've uh, stopped sliding, but generally it's the same. You have a sled, you're going to the top of the track, the green light goes, you go down the track. The thing here with luge is it's one of the few sports that scored to the thousandth of a second. So when you go down, 
you have timing lights that catch your splits as you go down. And let's say there's anywhere from 15 to 20 curves in a track, roughly. Uh, by the time you get down through the last curve, uh, that's when that final split goes off and you, uh, you have a time. So from the top of the track, it's usually under a minute. It's anywhere from like, you know, 40 seconds to a minute long, depending on the track. Each one's a little different. Some of them are big and flowy, like in Salt Lake City. Um, that's more of a speed track. So you're going to see people going a lot faster there versus a technical track, something like Lake Placid, where you're going to have tighter curves. Um, and those times tend to be a little bit slower, I'd say. But that being said, you're watching people go down and after two runs, you take the combined time between the two runs. So that's generally how a normal race goes. There are other races that it's different, like in the Olympics, you have multiple, more trials than that. So you have four runs that you're going down, you're adding them all up. They also have other events now that are team relays. So that gets added up between, you know, three different people. So it just depends on what you're watching, but um, generally speaking, a normal race goes like that. And I got to say, I have seen people lose races by one and two thousandths of a second between two combined runs. So every little bit of time counts. That is super stressful, uh, but it's cool. It's like really cool. It's actually a little more, I guess it's just simpler than I think I would have originally imagined it as a sportsman like i i would have thought this is all complex and stuff it's actually more simplistic than people might imagine it's, it's a timed race like you're trying to get to the bottom and it's just like a car race like you got to get there as fast as you can and you combine the score so i appreciate you explaining that so people can kind of just simplify it rather than feeling like it's overwhelming um obviously there's more into it as a, as a competitor it's not just like oh go down and get a good time like there's a lot that goes into it but it's easy to under, easier to understand now now you mentioned salt lake compared to lake Placid and the different races the different places so when you place like when you compete in sports and you're playing you're, comp you're competing you travel a lot and i'm just curious is there a particular place that you've gone that you like is your favorite place that you've raced or a favorite city you've um visited yeah that's a good question um there's a lot of tracks out there i mean there's not that many but there's definitely a lot more in europe than there are in you know the united states and canada when i was sliding one of my favorite places to go actually was norway uh, we didn't really have a, a whole lot of chances to get up there but i i think the track was probably very similar to lake placid as far as its technical aspects and um it's cold up there <laughs> It's very cold. Uh, it's interesting when you go there and there's only like six hours of sunlight. So that's, you know, definitely plays into you being able to race because that changes, you know, your track conditions with more light, the track may heat up, you know, with more sunlight on the track. So I found that that ice was very hard. It's a hard type of ice versus a softer ice. So it definitely made competing very interesting. Uh, plus, it's beautiful there. <laughs> the food there was delicious too. It was always a pleasure going up there. That's so cool. Like that's why I try to tell people like sports are so much more than just sports. You get to have life experience for uh, life experiences from that. You got to go over there and, and check that out. And just experience the culture. I think that's super cool. Um, one thing that you mentioned too is the ice. I didn't even think about that, but like I guess it's it's. I, that's normal. It's like the same as somebody playing basketball outside compared to inside or someone playing football on turf compared to grass. And, you know, tennis has clay courts, grass courts. I guess the ice conditions would be a whole nother thing that you have to take into consideration, which I don't think a lot of people pay attention to, but that totally makes sense. Oh my goodness. That's super stressful, but it's, uh, it's cool that you guys like know that stuff. Like you're, you're aware of the different factors that 
that play a role. Now, I do have one more question in regards to the loose sport, like the sport of loose. So if there's wet, let's say you're, you're racing outside, will they allow you to race in bad weather conditions? Like, I mean, obviously it's ice. So people may ask like rain and snow, are you guys allowed to race in those weather conditions? Yeah. And we definitely have, I've definitely had a bunch of races in those conditions. There are times where the track is deemed unsafe though. Um, and they basically have to close down the race. So I've had a couple of races where they've, flat up canceled the second run in the middle of the race because the track was getting so bad. So then the question is who wins? It's based on just one time down the track. So whatever that one run was, whatever that time was, that determines who wins that race. So it really could change. It depends. Like if it's too rainy, sometimes the, the ice will melt and then there's concrete. And the concrete is obviously unsafe to slide on because we have seals on the bottom of our sled. If you crash on that, that could rip your suits up. Like it's, it's way more unsafe that way. So they'll, they'll just shut the track down. Okay. Super interesting. That actually made me sick thinking about that. That's, that's just scary for me. That's someone who's never like actually done it. Like freaks me out when you're talking about that. Um, so I have a question for you when you know you competed for quite a while since 2002 to 2010 so you're like you had quite a few years there just to like be in that sport but when did you know Stacy that it was time for you to like move on to the next phase of life when you were going to kind of set the competitive side over to the side if you will yeah um that's so I always was trying to go to school while I was competing that was definitely difficult to do I was more of a math and science major my entire life. And with most of those classes, you kind of need to be present for them. It's a little harder to do them online. Um, but you were able to do your prereqs and everything. And so I actually switched my learning to business education while I was sliding. So I can continue earning towards my bachelor's while I was still competing. Um, at one point, I think I just realized you know, after 2010, we had Olympic trials, I unfortunately didn't make it that year. But I realized to myself, like, do I want to spend another four years in this and go for 2014? Or should I just, you know, call it quits? I did a lot, you know, I felt like I was able to compete internationally, I had a lot of good races under my belt. So I decided that, you know, it was probably time for me to just call it quits, continue on with my education and keep moving forward with that. And um, at that time, interestingly, is when I came home, I was finishing my bachelor's in international business. And then I started working at the same time in a school as a paraprofessional. So as a teacher's assistant with that special population. And by like being able to do that really opened my eyes, actually, that transitioned me a lot to the world of physical therapy. So I always loved rehab science. I loved it. I used to spend a lot of time in that room. Um, I always had questions like, Ooh, how does this stim machine work? Like, why are we doing this? What's going on? And I realized that physical therapy, you really could do so much with. And when I saw it being used in the schools with those types of populations and with those kids and, uh, realized you could use it in an ortho environment and in a cardiopulmonary environment and women's health as well. I was like, Whoa, like there's so much I could do with this. I'm like, you know what? I'm in my young twenties whatever. I'm going back to school. I'm going to learn those things. I'm going to take those prereqs and then go from there. I love it. Like, so it. That's the thing. Like for athletes that competed at a high level, like yourself, like at a very high level, it's a hard thing for them to transition out of. A lot of them struggle. And that's why I bring a lot of people onto my show to like talk about, because there, there is a transition phase when that part of their life 
is done and they got transitioning to a different part of their life. And it's cool to see how your transition happened. Um, I talk about it kind of like a, you know, if you're in a house and you've got carpet and then you transition that into the kitchen that has hardwood or whatever, maybe there's a transition that needs to be done from the one side of the floor to the other, uh, especially if it's at a different level or whatever. Anyways, without getting into details there, but there's a transition that's needed and it's cool to hear your transition and how that kind of got your mindset on the physical therapy stuff. So you, you, you finished up an international business and what additional stuff did you have to do for school? Like what additional education did you have to go through? Was it a master's program for your physical therapy? Yeah. So actually before I even got to that, getting into PT school is a whole other, <laughs> it's a whole other thing, but I had to go back and retake the prereqs. So I needed about 30 credits between all my science and math classes. So I need to take bio one and two, physics one and two, AMP one and two, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you had to take all those. Um, I stayed local when I did that. So I was able to work and take classes at the same time, made sure I had, you know, high grades in those classes. And then the interview process starts. So then you have to apply to all the schools. Um, actually, this is a funny story. So I just applied to local schools that I knew people that went there, uh, figured, you know, with my background, a lot of schools wouldn't want to take me because it's just such a weird background. A lot of people come into physical therapy with that anatomy background with the kinesiology background. I didn't have any of that. So I came in with international business and a whole bunch of prereqs. And I was like, yeah, and I was on a loose team. <laughs> and so it was interesting because my wild card school was New York University. So NYU, I threw that in there. I was like, who knows, maybe they bite. I don't really know. I get an interview. I go in for the interview. Didn't think I did well on the interview. Get a call back. I'm in the program. So it was really like worth my time being able to like throw that out there. I was ecstatic. I loved going to that school. It's three years. It's a doctorate program. So it's a lot of time. I had to kind of like step back from everything, relearn everything. I wasn't really able to work at the same time. Some people can do it. I had a couple of extra things. So I was actually personal training a little bit at the same time. And um, just spending a lot of time just really learning everything about PT. And it's, uh, it's definitely paid off. I feel like I was able to jump out of school and take everything that I learned and combine it all together and use it to help all my patients when they come in. Wow. See, as someone, okay, I just have to, most of my listeners already know this about me as I've shared my origin story, but like I hated school. I got my bachelor's degree. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, pardon me. I, I did my thing. I went to school. I did it. I did it so I could, I could get it, but I did not enjoy school. I'm not one of those guys that was like, Oh, I wish I could go back to college. No, I'm glad I got my degree. I'm grateful for the experiences I had in, in school. Um, but yeah, like I don't think I'll ever set foot on a campus again. So like for anybody who does additional education, they go for a higher education. You just say like a three year doctor program. Like it was hard enough for me to get my bachelor's. It took me, you know, cumulatively 10 years to get my bachelor's because I was working full time. I served a mission for my church for two years and, and all this stuff was combined. And, uh, you know, I was fine with that, but I was never going to go for a higher education. So I have a huge respect for those like yourself that put in the time to go up and do an, an additional couple of years. It's a grind. That's super, super hard. People don't realize that's, it's a hard thing to do, especially with real life going on. And, you know, and, and then essentially your, your future career kind of depends on your success in that schooling too. So it's like, there's a lot of pressure that people don't realize on the, on the outside, what's going on when you're doing that. So props to you for that. So when did you finish up school and how long have you actually been doing the physical therapy stuff? 
So I finished up in 2018. So I've, I've only been uh, treating now for about two years. But um, during that time while I was in school, I actually like it's hard because you have so many options of what you can go into. It's hard to kind of pick that route for yourself. A lot of people will come out and do orthopedics. It's just easy to do that's like your standardized physical therapy you know treatment you roll your ankle you're going to go see the PT that's the type of PT people do um, when I was in school and one of the reasons also why I was really excited to go to NYU was because they have a women's health program there and it's a very small piece of what we learned but it I was just like wow that's so interesting what can we do for women's health and um, my in between my second and my third year of school, I actually took a separate class. So you, we take continuing education as well. So I took a three day class, I learned the evaluation, I learned the skills all on my own. I came back, I really like tried to own it as much as I could read extra on the side as much as I could, because on top of all my, you know, normal schoolwork and everything I had to do, and to really prepare myself that by the time I was able to get out, we have, um, clinical education that we have to do as well as part of our program. So our last, say, 16 weeks of school in, in NYU is just straight clinical education. Half of that time I was able to spend in a women's health clinic. So there I was able to get my experience, you know, work that, work orthopedics at the same time. So by the time I was able to get out, I went to the place where I'm working now and I was able to start a whole women's health program there. But honestly, like before that, it's just, you don't know really like what you're getting into. You don't know like how much work you have to put into it until after you start getting in, you're like, oh my gosh, there's so much that's to this. But I'd have to say, you know, I think that helped me get a head start, but there's still so much that we have to learn. I think, you know, no matter how many years you put into this profession, there's still so much to learn about the body and, and about movement and about function. And it's, I think that's what keeps me going. Honestly, it's like, I love reading about this stuff, but it's great that I'm not graded on it anymore. So <laughs> it's like, I could just go off and read and apply to the populations that I see. So it's I great. I dig that a lot. That's, that's super cool. It's just, man, there's such a grind. That's awesome though, that you're doing it now. I'm sure like it, it is probably hard because of how much like you can learn about the body. There's so many new things. There's there's just new science. There's everything that comes out. Like you're always educating yourself, but I almost like if I, if I enjoyed school, I would probably enjoy that type of work because of the fact that it, you never really hit a ceiling because you're always going to be able to learn. And that's, that's not something that everybody gets to, to say about their jobs or whatever their career may be. Some people are, they've hit a ceiling and they're just doing the same thing every day, but like you're literally helping people one and two, you're continuously like educating yourself because you have to, it's like, required in a sense so that you can keep up and I think that in itself is almost like an award for all the work you put in even though it sounds like more work it's actually more motivating because your your life just continuously is, is is an educational process and I think it's awesome where can we find you Stacey to kind of like see some of the stuff you're working with in the in the you know physical therapy realm like you got an Instagram page like where, where do we find you where's yeah. your website something so I have, I'm working on my website right now. It's not up and loaded yet, but I promise I'll let you guys know when it is. But I do have an Instagram page that I have um, it's called Young Health and Fitness. So you guys can look me up that way. Um, and I'm working right now to upload because we have running blogs and things. I'm just compiling all those into one spot. So same thing. I'll have a um, my YouTube channel should be up and running pretty shortly with all that information on there as well. So that's going to be your longer movies. <laughs> 
I have a couple of interviews I've done with people so far. So again, we have things ranging from orthopedics to pelvic health. Um, I'm also, I also have my CSBS, which is a certified strength and conditioning specialist. So I'm going to talk a little bit about program making as well for athletes and things like that. So I, I have a little bit of everything thrown into that channel. Oh, that's awesome. That's super, super cool. The last question I got for you then, Stacey, is so you're, you work with, you got the whole like strength and conditioning stuff down too. You got the ortho and pelvic stuff. You know, you've got, like I said before, like you're the Swiss army knife. It's like, you've got a, a this is super cool to be talking to somebody like yourself who has this knowledge and this skill set that not everybody does. What can you take from your experience as a competitor, as an athlete, to now to be able to help these athletes going forward? Like what's one of the, like what's one of the things that you'll be able to use to, to help them with their bodies, their strength, their conditioning, and then obviously their recovery too. Like that's a super important piece of it. People don't realize recovery is a huge piece. Taking care of your body is huge, especially when you're competing at a high level. So what can you share with them? Like with all the knowledge you have? Yeah. Um, so one of the biggest things that I wish that if I had a chance to reverse time a little bit and go back and yell at myself, I wish that I would tell myself to do more mobility work. That's the one piece I think of our programs that thank God it is, you know, popping up more in social media, you start seeing a lot of this stuff more often. But really, the problem is, is we get taught things, we just kind of get thrown into the mix. We're like, hey, do this movement, hey, do this exercise. And then your body is compensating through movement. So what happens is, is after a certain amount of time of strength and conditioning and or training, you get to the spot where you just like, you're stuck there. And it's not because your strength isn't there. You just stuck. You're like, why can't I get better at doing this? I don't understand. And it's usually because the underlying muscles and the postural system and everything is completely shut down. We do not learn how to engage it properly. And I think that a lot of that, low core mobility work. I know I hate using those words, but you know, I went back to learning a little bit about Pilates and I found that that really helped fill a void for me of where I had this knowledge, but there was a gap. There was a huge gap. And then once I learned how to engage some of these pelvic floor muscles, low core muscles, learned how to stabilize myself properly, then I could stabilize myself through mobility better. So I would say for all my athletes and everything out there, you have to make that part of your program. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. You need to make the time for that stuff. Because if you don't, you are only hurting yourself. You will never get to where you want to be ever because you will not be able to maximize what your body can do. And so I think without doing that mobility work, without doing that stability work, you're really just you know harming your ability to do better for yourself. I, you are awesome. So like, I, I'm just sitting here listening to you. I'm like, man, I wish I had you as one of my coaches back in the day. I freaking full heartedly, wholeheartedly believe in that exactly what you just said. Now, back then I didn't, I mean, it was like, do power cleans, do squats, put the, put the weight on the bar and squat 400, go parallel this, like, and our coaches were huge on it. And it was great. We all thought we were big and bad back then in the, you know, high school, you know, early college days. And we were doing our thing. But now, I'll tell you right now, like, as I've gotten older, I'm in my 30s. I'm like, okay, well, I have a, I, I tore my shoulder out, had surgery on that three years ago. I, my knees hurt. I had stress fractures in my shins because my calves are so tight and everything's bad. Like, I don't have the right stuff. My lower back hurts. So I'm always trying to fix it. And I'm just now in the last two years have gotten really into, like, stretching and mobility and trying to really, like, activate 
the correct muscles so that when I'm doing those other exercises, the complex exercises that I'm like, I'm not like using the wrong muscles to stabilize. I'm like my lower back shouldn't be like taking the blunt end of everything. I should be activating my glutes, stuff like that. And so I'm a huge believer in that. I wish the athletes that are young, the teenagers, the football players, basketball players, you know, rather than always just going for the max, which is fine. You got to have some strength and power. You should also be, you know, focusing on that. So we need to be following you. I'll make, I'm going to make sure to put a link to the, the stuff you just mentioned there. Uh, when you get your website up and running, let me know and I'll update our description when we post this podcast so we can have somewhere to go for information. But the more that we're educated, the more we can protect ourselves. And that's why we have experts like yourself. And I appreciate you, Stacey, for joining the show and letting us know about that. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me again. Absolutely. You guys take care. And if you guys remember, give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure to go check Stacey's pages out. Hey, and then follow me on my, my Instagram and my, my social media pages as well. And you guys know the drill. We'll talk to you guys next week. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.